Welcome to The World in 10. Today we'll be thinking about how the war in Israel and Gaza could affect the conflict in Ukraine and be hearing from our experts at The Times of London, hosted by me, Bhavani Vadi, and Cara Bentley. Yeah, we'll also be looking at the drastic measures that Japan has taken to prevent hay fever and why Pakistan is not happy about entering Miss Universe. The tragedy that is going on in the Middle East has now claimed more than 2,500 lives across both sides. And we will look at the current humanitarian situation in a couple of minutes' time. But what we want to look at first is also what this means for international politics and specifically regarding Ukraine. Yes, can the West, which has so vocally and practically come out in support of Ukraine, do the same all over again at a time when many countries are struggling with the cost of living? Will their attention switch from Ukraine to Israel along with their weaponry and aid? Now, the US Secretary of State visited Israel on Thursday and he stated, as he did so, the US's unwavering support. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never ever have to. Now, countries have finite resources and people do not have limitless capacity for compassion. So we've been looking at a recent YouGov poll of 1,500 Americans about US support of Israel since the weekend. And it's increased in the last couple of years. So 53% of Americans support giving aid to Israel and 46% say America has a responsibility to do something about the fighting. So where is this going to go in terms of practical American support? The Times' US editor, David Charter, told us this. We're going to see and hear a lot more about this in the weeks to come because the Biden administration is planning to call on Congress for emergency aid and funding for Israel. They've got supplies that they can send at the moment, but they're going to run out pretty soon if there's a, a war going on. But the package that the Biden administration is planning to present will most likely link Iran funding with Ukraine funding, possibly with funding for Taiwan as well. They want to do a big package because if you listen carefully to what Biden said in his heartfelt speech, he said that we will very soon be asking Congress for extra help and assistance for our partners. And that's a challenge to mainly to Republicans who have becoming increasingly reluctant to to sign off on these billions and billions uh, for for Ukraine. Yesterday, NATO members reassured President Zelensky of Ukraine that their support wouldn't wane. Now, what could be really interesting is what Donald Trump will say in response, especially what he says he would do if he got into the White House again. Mm. And what's more interesting is that Republicans tend to be more isolationist. But also that poll we mentioned earlier said that Republicans are far more likely than Democrats to view protecting Israel as a very important US policy goal. That's 58 to 24 percent. So we will watch that and Trump's response with a close eye. But we want to turn now to the humanitarian situation on the ground. Yes, there seems to be no easing of the human suffering in Gaza, with the International Committee of the Red Cross warning that hospitals will soon become morgues if energy is not restored there soon. That's the sound of injured people being taken to hospital in Gaza City after Israeli airstrikes. But medics say the hospitals are just hours away from running out of power and that'll put newborns in incubators and elderly patients on oxygen particularly at risk. 
Israel has also stopped all supplies of water and food in retaliation to the attacks and kidnappings that happened at the weekend with Israel Katz, Israel's energy minister, posting this stark message on social media. No electrical switch will be turned on, no water hydrant will be opened and no fuel tank will enter until the Israeli abductees are returned home. So along with that preparation for a ground invasion, the blockade also seems to be a deliberate tactic to try and bring Hamas to its knees, according to Major General Jira Elad, the former head of planning at the Israeli Defence Force. It is clear that Israel is in no less than existential war. Now, in order to achieve such a very ambitious goal, which is to make sure that there is no possible terrorist threat from Gaza forever, one way is to carry out a massive ground operation, which has a lot of complications. The other option, and that's what I strongly uh, think that we should do, is to create such a huge pressure on Gaza that Gaza will become an area where people cannot live until Hamas is destroyed, which means that Israel not only stop to supply uh, energies, diesel, water, food, whatever, and to create in Gaza such a terrible, unbearable situation that can last weeks and months. It is going to be a very, very long siege. Now, if Israel has declared itself to be at war, it now puts itself under international law regarding conduct in war, including war crimes. And the UN's human rights spokesperson has said any measures cutting civilians off from basic essentials may account to war crimes. This is what Maria Varaki, lecturer in international law and co-director of the War Crimes Research Group at King's College London, told Times Radio. Israel has a right to defend itself, but when you, a state exercises the right to self-defense, there are rules and limits. Self-defense has to be absolutely necessary and proportionate. So um, I was very worried when I heard the Minister of Defense, of the Israeli Minister of Defense, would say that uh, uh, now, uh, the purpose, the emphasis is on damage and not on precision. Meanwhile, Israeli soldiers continue to gather at the Gaza border ahead of a possible invasion next week in response to Hamas's barbaric attacks. And the only way out of Gaza for civilians is through the Rafa border crossing into Egypt, which was forced to close yesterday because of the airstrikes. And even when it is open, only 400 people are allowed to pass at a time in normal times. Japan is going to some pretty extreme measures mm-hmm. to combat hay fever. They've decided to cut down lots and lots of trees and actually the equivalent of 175,000 football pitches of forest to get rid of the pollen. That's a huge area. So we asked the Times' Asia editor, Richard Lloyd Parry, why they're going to such drastic measures. You should put from your mind one of ideas of people sniffing daintily over recently mowed lawns. It's really um, kind of industrial in its scale. These trees called cedars, which are very tall, every spring they put out these vast billows of pollen, which are blown by the spring breezes over the cities, these very densely populated Japanese cities. And the effect is really very dramatic. I mean, I I didn't used to get it myself, but after a few years, being here a few years, after about five years, I started getting it. It really is very debilitating. 
it's almost like having sandpaper rubbed over your eyes. It stings your eyes. It makes you sneeze, really sneeze. And it affects an estimated 40% of the population. They've calculated that it actually reduces domestic consumption measurably because people just don't go out. So it really is a major problem that is actually affecting the Japanese economy. Now, beauty pageants have long divided opinion. On one hand, many say they empower women. Others think them demeaning, with women being pitted against each other in a competition that celebrates a really narrow idea of beauty. Mm, and this criticism has often come from feminists, but in Pakistan, it's mainly men who are taking issue with the country's first competitor in the Miss Universe contest. They say she's representing a country that doesn't want to be represented. That's right. Erica Robin, who's 24, obviously stunning. She was chosen as Miss Universe Pakistan at a competition held in the Maldives. She says she wants to increase tourism so everyone can see how beautiful her country, cuisine and people are. But Pakistan is deeply conservative with beauty pageants just not being a thing and her selection has caused outrage. Online Chatter amongst Pakistani men in particular has been pretty scathing, with even Pakistan's caretaker prime minister getting involved, calling the pageant an insult and exploitation of women in Pakistan. Yeah, strong words. But this also raises the interesting question of, is entering a beautiful woman into a beauty contest really a sign of progress? That's something we'll leave you to make up your minds about. There's a comment piece on the Times sports pages right now about the David Beckham documentary on Netflix, which you may well have seen. And Matthew Syed, the writer, points out that, among other things, people have been surprised at how much vitriol Beckham got for being sent off in the 1998 World Cup. Yeah, and he uses this to say that perhaps people could pause and consider their response next time someone else in the public eye makes a mistake and question whether our response is actually proportionate. He makes other points about class snobbery as well, and you can read it on the Times website and app, and you can take out a digital subscription if you wish. Well, that's it from us today. There'll be more tomorrow. <laughs>